Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me is my co-host, Rob Lamorges. Hello, everybody. Uh, This week, we're going to look at three films that came out of the urban crime cycle kicked off by New Jack City and Boys in the Hood. Uh, The first is a movie that shares a writer and star with New Jack City, and that is 1994's Sugar Hill. What's your name? Romeo. Are you serious? No. And you're funny. And you're very funny as well. You're funny and you're fine. Oh, thank you so much. And you got a tag hanging in your dress. My brother, Romello. Hey, Romy. Romello, the mellow fellow. Between dreams and reality. My brother was under the impression that you want to do some business. It's one's work. We can't work with Akata. What is this Akata? Like American cotton picker. Between trust and deception. Romello's not that easy to handle. He's going to see through this. The decision's already been made. Between Convent Avenue and St. Nick's. The streets are mine. I do know what's going on out here. How much prove it to you? I'll put you in somebody's head. Go, now. I Trying to save the brother's life, man. Now the rules are being changed. All I need you to do is just cut me out of little space to operate. It can work. Well, I think it's going to be conflict. Wesley Snipes is Romello. I'm afraid of you. Melissa, you gotta believe me. Everything in my life is about to change. A man looking for a way out. I'm not scared, man. I just see something you don't. That's it. Can you promise me when I step out that door, I'm not gonna be the next one? I don't wanna have to bury not one more of you. I ain't going out like that, Ron. This is the flavor that they savor up here, neighbor. I don't want any more killing. I'm done. I'm finished. Sugar Hill was directed by Leon Achezo and written by New Jack City writer Barry Michael Cooper. It stars Wesley Snipes and Michael Wright as the Scruggs brothers, and it features Clarence Williams III, Teresa Randall, Ernie Hudson, and Abe Vigoda. It tells the story of Harlem drug dealer and gangster Romello Scruggs and his efforts to get out of the heroin business. Now, Rob, this is one of the rare movies, I think, that you and I kind of part company because I I didn't love Sugar Hill. I didn't think it was a, a bad film, but I, I kind of felt that it was a little slow moving. It, it, it kind of, there wasn't a lot of narrative propulsion. Uh, but I don't think you agreed with me on that. No, I would say that Sugar Hill is a deliberately paced tone poem of a film that reminds me uh, in the best possible way of a stage play. I mean, I got, and look, I, I never want to compare writers in like an A A to A comparison, but I got like August Wilson vibes off of this thing. Um, I just, I I loved it. I love the characterization. I loved Snipes in this movie and his understated performance. Although I loved a lot of people in this movie. I I thought Wesley Snipes was very good. He was clearly, you know, he clearly was not trying to replicate Nino Brown, you know, from, from New Jack City. He was definitely, he wanted to play a different character. And given the similarities in the, you know, the, the, the careers and lives of those characters, he clearly wanted to do something different. And I applaud him for doing that. Um, I just felt this movie was slow with a capital S. Like it's deliberately paced, which is what I tell people when I'm trying to convince them that, you know, they should really like 2001 A Space Odyssey more than they do. Yes. Well, this is a, this is a gangster movie in a way, but it is not because it is not, this has more of those crime machinations than, than perhaps some other complete character pieces do, but this is so much more character forward. Uh, so much of, of, uh, Rome's Romy's story uh, is, is not about the, uh, the crime family. It's not about getting pushed out of right. the, uh, of the trade and getting supplanted and whether or not he, he can, uh, help his, his older brother who really, he, the younger brother is the older brother too. Yes. Uh, in spirit. 
if not in actual age. And um, look, I, I get, I, I, and I totally get what you're saying, Chris. And I, I can't, I can't sit here and say that you're wrong, but I just, I loved just savoring these scenes and being with these characters uh, and the setting um, and just the, and the cinematography, everything about this. I just, I really loved. Um, uh, it was it was well shot. It was a well shot and 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 well you know technically constructed movie. There's a great there's a great shot of uh, <laughs> early in the film of Wesley Snipes up on top of a building looking down on his neighborhood. And I said, "Oh my god, it's a superhero shot! It's Blade!" Yeah, I I, I saw that too, and uh, man, I loved it. And uh, you know the dolly shot in the cemetery. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> towards the beginning of the movie as well yep. with the camera moving through. I also love that, um, which I thought just uh, direction wise, uh, when you are, you know, it's a choice, but when you are doing more character centric uh, pieces like this, it is, Im- you know, often important to impart that visual flair. And look, I, none of this is sticking out. This is all, right. you know, organic in the scene again. Um, but uh, I think it is important to give that uh, feeling of the internal motion of the characters by sometimes doing the external motion with the camera. Right. Uh, I, I absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, again, my issues with the, the film are not necessarily with it, the, the direction or, or, or the, the technical acumen. It's really that I felt like, you know, the, the slowness of it. it, it you don't learn that Romello, who wants to get out of this business, you don't learn that he wants to get out till about half an hour in at least, which which gives the first act a kind of meandering quality where it's like, well, eh, what's it really about? What's going on? I, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, it, it's it's it just felt like, oh, it, we're, we don't want to be New Jack City, so we're going to be the antithesis of New Jack City, which frankly is is a little it's a little on the slow side but that was my big issue with it yeah um yeah because you don't obviously when you hit that transition from act one into act two in the film uh that is where it is made clear uh both to the character and the audience that he wants out right yeah and uh it you know i think there I haven't gone back and watched it again. My guess is that if uh, watching it a second time, I would probably see indications that Romello already did know, but couldn't voice it yet. But um, there's so much important stuff in that first act with, um, I mean, opening with that just harrowing, harrowing flashback with the mom. Oh yeah. The, 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 you know, here we have yet again, another, another mom uh, who is, who is uh, hooked on drugs and uh, and it's a really like that is uh, of all the scenes we've seen that are kind of, you know, sort of uh, bad parenting, if you will. Uh, this one might be the most disturbing. Yeah, where she is making the older brother tie off her arm so she can shoot up. Oof. And the younger brother, who is Romello, by the way, yeah. who the mother is keeping out of this and explicitly saying, She's protecting him from, you know, from the, the hardships of life, I guess. Uh, I yeah. But in any event, uh, let's just say that that is the uh, the time that we see her get shot up uh, is the time that she dies in a very yeah. horrifying manner, I will say. Um, and made even more horrifying by the fact that her two young sons uh, witness it all. One of the young sons having been forced to participate in it. And that, that scar is something that informs his character for the entire movie. And this, I mean, this scene is, uh, as we often say, the Rosetta Stone. It's the Rosetta Stone for the the brother's relationship. Um, And it is, therefore, a bit of a surprise when we come into the present day that the man is not the older brother. It is Romelu. Yes, and and both of them have a, a, a very sort of complex relationship with their father, who is also a, a heroin user. And I will say, and that's A.R., uh, played yes. by Clarence Williams III, and I just want to take a moment. I, I love Wesley Snipes in this movie. I think everyone mm-hmm. does a great job in this movie. 
Yes. Clarence Williams III is fucking transcendent in this role. I absolutely agree. Whatever issues I had with the movie, they are, he is amazing as a, as a jazz musician who developed a heroin addiction and has been, you know, dealing with it for what seems to be decades and uh, is, is kind of involved in his, his kids' lives, but kind of not like they kind of take care of him. And it, it is Clarence Williams III who who uh, you know gave a great performance in Deep Cover uh, in in uh, you know the the last week's show when we talked about it in last week's show um, is amazing here. Something my my wife just as a minor point. This is not the impressive part about his acting, but it's just one uh, technical thing that I can point out. Uh, just because my my wife has told me about this in the past. Mm. Um, which is that when a good actor or a great actor uh, has to play inebriated in some capacity, she said, uh, newer actors, shall we say, often try to play drunk or they try sure. to play high. Uh, a more trained actor, when they take on that kind of a role, they try to imbue it with a little more realism in that they don't try to play high. They play a person hiding trying right. to hide the fact that they're high absolutely uh, because that absolutely. is what what happens now that's that what is you not do. yeah that's not the affecting part of his performance here to don't get me wrong no, but no, that's no, just no. one but... one technical uh thing just to point out in that performance yeah clarence williams iii gives an absolutely fantastic performance the other person who i thought was a, a standout was uh ernie hudson who now has appeared in all three of our Get Me Another series, making him the Get Me Another MVP. Yeah, he is the king of Get Me Another, which, by the way, I always get me another Ernie Hudson performance. Uh, Absolutely. You know, he he was my my favorite thing about uh, Space Hunter. Uh, <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. definitely. A movie whose name I know you will never utter again, Chris. But... Um, yeah, but he he has a great role here too. He oh, is he really is what the dealer from Red Hook who works with the Italians who is being brought in to muscle in on the territory in Harlem, and um, it, it's weird. This is one of the the areas where Abe Vigoda plays kind of the representative of the Italian mafia, yes, who has a very deep relationship with the brothers, especially Romello. Yes. He. And uh, his cousin, I believe, were running the heroin for decades, including back what in the seventies mm -hmm. when, uh, or no, no, uh, would have been the seventies or eighties. I think it was the seventies, maybe the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, because this when, movie was made in the nineties. We're not looking at it from the point of view of it being in the aughts uh, or the teens, where we are the twenties. Oh my god, I forgot what decade it was. It's yeah, it would be the seventies for sure. And so <clears throat> there is another flashback where. Uh, it's not Clarence Williams the third because it's the younger version of the father. Mm -hmm. He had been in, entwined with the mafia, uh, and, and that would have been uh, the younger Abe Vigoda character and his younger cousin at the time. And right. they pretty brutally, with the cops present as well, uh, uh, on top of the roof, uh, like just they beat the tar out of the father, out of out of Clarence Williams third character, um, and and and. Romello is a witness to that. And much more than a witness, he then winds up taking yes. a gun and the uh, the Avogoda character's cousin is the yes. one who gave it to, to dad the most. And he yeah. shoots and kills him. Uh, the, the, the young Romello, played by a very young Dulé Hill, later of the West Wing and Psych and, and a terrific actor. Here he appears very young as the young version of, uh, of Wesley Snipes' character, Romello. Yeah, he's the 17-year-old the version. Uh, yes. And so the, uh, what winds up happening is in the present day, the, the cousin having been shot and murdered keeps coming up. And a lot of people imply that it was Romello. And Abe Vigoda's character says... Nobody knows who shot and yeah. killed him. And he kind of took the brothers, specifically Romello, under his wing this whole time and has uh, helped him kind of come up in the organization, uh, which is really interesting when he seems to be at first forced by the larger family to bring yeah. in 
uh, the other person, the other dealer from Red Hook. But by the end of this thing is certainly on the side of the family much, much more than he is on Romello's. Yeah, there's an interesting um, there's an interesting bit where where Abe Vigoda's character talks about how he was sent up there and he's been up there for like 30 years and he didn't want to go. It was like it was like the the mob equivalent of getting, you know, assigned to the the lousy assignment. But he he did his job and, you know, uh, it's it's there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. There there definitely is. Um, You know, there's there's a there's a a romance subplot uh, with Romello and, uh, and the girl that he meets in, in the course of the movie, which is very, it's very interesting. Like he, he, he has very genuine feelings. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I do feel like this movie was constructed to sort of be the anti new Jack city. in in, in the, in that it's not, it's not as um, not only is it not as fast paced, but it, it, the, the, you know, the, the relationship with women is very different from Romello to, to Nino Brown. I mean, very, very different. Yeah. And this film is not, uh, New Jack City was very much uh, about the rise of the crack trade, Absolutely. what it was doing to the neighborhood, what the overall effects were, why it was happening. Right. And uh, the, mm-hmm. you were dealing with characters who live and bled and died. Right. But yeah. it, it, there was that larger point about the neighborhood. This is not about the rise of a certain drug trade. Um, it is very much about the neighborhood. Uh, True. And how and what that neighborhood means. But it's almost, if, if New Jack City, for me at least, is about how the economics of the drug trade and, and also the economics of what had been done to that neighborhood that helped spur the drug trade, uh, how, how it negatively impacted the neighborhood. This really, to me, is almost about and while this is a tragedy and it's it's a, it is a sad, sad ending, spoiler alert, uh, although with with a little twist. Uh, yes. But uh, this one is much more about the heart and resiliency of the neighborhood in the face of everything that's going on to me. It's um, how it can still be a home even amidst, uh, you know, some some bad stuff. Yeah, no, and and it's it's interesting. All three of our movies this week take place in New York, and uh, the, there's there's no West Coast movies this week. Uh, they are all East Coast, and uh, as we move, you know, two of them take place in the '90s when they were made, so they they are what was the then present day. But the third one is a period piece, and I I said, well, you know, it's not exactly the same neighborhood, but it's a similar neighborhood, and you're seeing the development. It, it, there's a real interesting sort of uh, uh, sweep to that. And we'll get into more of that as we talk about Dead Presidents later on. But yeah, I, I liked Sugar Hill. I just, I didn't quite connect to it in the same way that I have uh, some of the other movies that we've done and uh, some of the movies even later that, that we'll talk about in the same show. But uh, but I did like it. I, I And, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting film. I, I recommend checking it out, especially as kind of a counterpoint to... Uh, to these, uh, to some of the other films in our in our series, and this is what the second in his Harlem trilogy, right? Yes. Uh, the third film is is outside of the uh, what purview of this series, so unfortunately, we will not be covering it. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe we could bonus episode that one. Well, you know that's the that's the great thing about bonus episodes is is the rules kind of go out the window for some of those, or we get to make them up as uh, as we go. Um, but it's a, it's a good film. I I. I and I did like the, how much it, it 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 kind of rooted in Harlem history uh, with uh, the fact that uh, that that Romello and his brothers, uh, you know, his, their father is a musician, really kind of ties back into that that artistic legacy uh, that Harlem has. From there, we move to another film, which is also about trying to escape a life of crime. 1994's Fresh. Just watching the world pass you by. Think as long as you ain't drowning, everything's all right. New York City. If I have me a million dollars, I'll give me a Porsche 959. Well, who cares? Because you ain't never gonna have a million dollars anyway. In a world of deep loyalties. You get bigger, you're gonna be the man. We're gonna put it on speed today. Where survival means saying nothing. That's right! What one boy saw... Go tell somebody you saw something! ...could have made him the next victim. 
is the second homicide you've been mixed up with in as many weeks. I didn't see nothing. Now what he knows is changing the power of the streets. You're just a little kid in way over his head. You want my king. You got to come get my king. I'm gonna drop him, man. I'm gonna go drop him. You always trying to scare me, but I ain't scared of you no more. Fresh. Critics call it powerful and riveting. Electrifying. And Siskel and Ebert Hale, two thumbs up. Samuel L. Jackson, Giancarlo Esposito, Nabouche Wright, and introducing Sean Nelson. You ready for the real thing? You ready to come get it? You ready to be the king? Fresh was written by Bose Yakin, and it's the story of Michael, who is nicknamed Fresh, a 12-year-old boy living in New York and working as a drug runner, realizing that his life is a dead end and inspired by the chess lessons of his father. Fresh crafts an intricate plan to get himself and his drug-addicted sister out of their crime-riddled world once and for all. Uh, Fresh stars Sean Nelson as the title character, uh, as well as Enbouche Wright, Giancarlo Esposito, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, it was the directorial debut of Bose Yakin, who would later go on to direct, remember, The Titans. But I want to mention his first credit was as the writer of the 1989 Punisher movie with Dolph Lundgren, a movie that I mm-hmm. genuinely have a soft spot for <laughs> and always have. Um, I'd like to commend Fresh for something it didn't do. We've seen a number of movies where a character is watching a classic movie that somehow foreshadows that character's fate. And I applaud the filmmakers for not having Fresh watch either Yojimbu or A Fistful of Dollars, because that's exactly the kind of situation that Fresh is able to set up between the two drug dealers that he separately works for. Yes, I... um... I have a confession to make, although it's a confession to the audience. You already know this. The The first, I don't know, third, first half of this movie, Chris, I was so confused uh, uh, tonally, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying the movie is confused. I did not know what to make of it. It really is, uh, you know, it reminded me of almost like the, the Bugsy with kids from uh, with Jodie Foster. Oh, what is the name of that you movie? You know, I think it's Bugsy. Maybe it's not. It's Bug- is uh, it Bugsy it, Malone? Oh, maybe that's a yeah different from the from the later one. Maybe, but in any I event, think that's it. It's uh, the the yes, yeah. Uh, you know th- where this is a movie that it really is in many ways. It's like New Jack City starring children, but at times with like the soundtrack of an after school special or something. <laughs> And I know I sound like a jerk, like I'm like I'm like I'm bagging on the movie. But I have to say that I I was just very confused in the first half or so. But I've never had a movie turn me around, especially with the last third, the the last act of this movie. Uh, I just came so far around and I it really did make me see everything that came before it in a much, much different manner. Uh, Well, I agree. I think I think the movie um, I think this movie it has some pacing problems and in particular in the first half of it where to be perfectly honest like sugar hill feels felt to me a little bit aimless where i you know i didn't know what are we doing here you know and it's you know it's it's i felt like everything in this movie needed to happen sooner like Fresh decides there's a there's an incident where um, in, there's a neighborhood shooting following a basketball match, and the girl that Fresh is interested in is is a bystander is shot during the course of that and and dies. And I I felt like well that was the the inciting event for him to decide I have to get out because he gives no signs of wanting to go until that incident, and then immediately after starts putting together his plan. And I just felt like everything needed to be 20 minutes earlier in order to, to sort of just speed up the pace. I know you want to live in the world, but at the same time, it's like it, it, it's, it, it needed to happen faster for me. And I, I, I'm coming across as like, oh, hey, I need everything to be paced like, uh, you know, it's a, a Michael Bay movie. But that's not me. Uh, I do love 2001 and its deliberateness, not slowness, mind <laughs> you. 
deliberateness. But that said, um, you know, it's once he kind of starts putting together his plan, I actually thought the movie was great. Yeah, and that 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 is where I started to understand the earlier parts of the movie. And you're absolutely right that the that incident on the basketball court is is the the straw that breaks the camel's back at that point, where he is now a hundred percent on a new direction. But I think in retrospect, um, you can see that he is already trending that way, especially with everything about his sister. Yeah. Now the setup here is that Fresh is how old are these kids? Like ten? Something Fresh like is that? twelve, but I can't 12? remember if they okay. say that in the movie or if it's just the 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 research that I have done said, oh, he's twelve. So, so I'm gonna go with so that. That's the age of the. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. So they're middle school age. He and his friends and Fresh is living uh, with his aunt with uh, a lot of other kids. Some, uh, but not his sister. His sister is not there. She has left. Uh, Fresh is dealing, or he's not directly. Well, in some ways, he is. He is definitely dealing with two different drug dealers, right? Yes, he works for two separately. Works for two different drug dealers, one of whom deals heroin, the other deals crack, and as a consequence, are not in conflict to one another at least at the outset. Yeah, and he is uh, uh, Esteban, played by Giancarlo, is the heroin dealer, and he is the He's one. He's so great in who, this movie. Oh yes, absolutely. You, uh, and we'll we'll get to that in one sec. Yeah. But anyway, Esteban is very much. Uh, after fresh's sister and asking after her and there's this really just uh uncomfortable relationship where esteban is trying to get fresh to bring the sister back to him uh it's been implied that they had had a relationship in the past and then it starts to come out that the sister uses heroin and then the sister is uh you find in a, a really really just brutal uh exchange between her and fresh how much self self loathing she has yeah. uh, for herself, and what what she thinks of what she wants out of a relationship, and Fresh is clearly not comfortable with any of this, and people right. are bringing up bringing up his sister to him, uh, both his friends and other people in the drug trade, and you can tell that this is gnawing on him. He wants the sister to to stay at home with at the aunt's place. Uh, but it is a, he is a little inscrutable because there's there is no voiceover in this one. There's no. no character that he trusts enough to confide anything in, really. Yeah, he's got one friend, uh, Chucky, who Chucky's so dumb that <laughs> to quote Gene Hackman in Superman, I'm surprised his brain can generate enough power to keep his legs moving. Yeah, Chucky is the stupidest. Uh, as Fresh will keep telling him and many others uh, yes. throughout this movie. But we get into how, how Fresh uses that stupidity, which is very interesting. Very interesting and quite ruthless. Yeah. I, I actually, I, one of the notes I made is basically Fresh uses, he saved up this cash of, of money. This, 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 and, and what he does is he uses it to buy, I believe it's crack, and he swaps that for heroin. So he and he he involves Chucky in his uh, in his in his in his, uh, his drug running and much against behind the back of Giancarlo Esposito's character. So because he knows that Chucky is going to be talking about this to every, you know, this is a guy who couldn't keep his mouth shut if you paid him, and he's just going to be talking to everybody that he's running, he's running drugs, blah, 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 blah. And so then what inevitably happens, because the word gets out that, that Chucky's carrying, is that they get attacked and the drugs get stolen. And this is what Fresh wanted to happen because he wants to convince Basically, he wants to convince the two dealers that they are now in conflict with one another for territory. You know, when the, when one was dealing crack and one was dealing heroin, you know, their interests didn't conflict, but now they do. And what happens over the course of that that uh, that that encounter is that Chucky is shot dead. And I'm still not sure if Fresh thought that was likely to happen or if it was just incidental. Yeah, he he does try, Fresh does try to say, hey, Chuck, I mean, he didn't ask Chucky to bring guns. He tried to get rid of the guns from Chucky. And he does say Chucky 
run with if me. If anything happens, you know, put that down. Drop the bag and run. Yeah, and in the moment he says it to him, but yes. Chucky is too too uh, stubborn. But at the same time, Fresh is no fool and had to yeah. know that this was a strong possibility. Uh, maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was. Maybe in this area he was still a little bit too much of a kid. But sure. um, the the problem being that, uh, and this is the thing that always gets me thinking: if Chucky had made it out alive, would Fresh's plan have been able to work? And right. I'm not sure that it would have. Right. Um, Fresh. One of the the, the as we haven't talked about yet. Fresh is kind of Fresh has a father who is played by Samuel L. Jackson in a great supporting. Uh, uh, role in this film and he's an alcoholic and he is a speed chess champion he's one of those guys who sits in the park and and plays chess speed chess for money and he's outstanding and you see him the only real connection he has with his son is when his son comes and plays chess against him and you know this guy is just not capable of raising a child but he gives what wisdom he can during some of these chess lessons and those scenes i found some of the most compelling in the movie yeah and that wisdom is i i will say until the very end this is all tough love tough tough love right he's he's pretty much always berating fresh about his chess play and what he's doing um you know uh, clearly with the goal of trying to make him a better chess player but at the same time, you know, there might be other ways to do that as well. Right. Uh, but it is specifically uh, later on, after, and I think this is after the uh, the shooting on the basketball court, where, yes. uh, the, where he is having a particular match with Fresh, and Fresh starts off a little strong, but then slowly begins to unravel in the, fresh, uh, in the chess match. And... Uh, the father starts smack-talking him. You're hoarding. You're playing each piece like losing it hurts. This ain't checkers. You want my king. You got to come get my king. All these other pieces are just a means to do it. Every time you make a good run at me, I just threaten your queen and back you go. You're treating her like she's the last lady on earth. Your queen is just a pawn with a lot of fancy moves, nothing more. When you see you playing a man who feels naked without his lady, use her. Jump in there and take her. Tease her, threaten her, and he won't be able to think about his game anymore. That's when you make your real move. It's good. It's better. You like that horse, don't you? You like his crazy jumps all over the board. You think he's your friend hate to lose him almost as much as you hate to lose that lady. Well, he is your friend, boy. They all are. But you're going to have to use him just like you use the other. If he falls by the wayside, well, that's just life's little game, ain't it? Until you come ready to play a game, you'll never beat her at it. But all of that, your goal is is to get my king and anything anything else on this board is just a means to that end. And in order to get Esteban, who is a very jealous man, even yes. though he is married with children and, uh, you know, shown to be very much a family man, actually, but also yeah. likes to have Fresh's sister as his mistress and presumably maybe others as well. The way that Fresh uses his sister to get Esteban in the scheme at the end is 100% using the queen as a pawn so that you can get the king. And I, you, you had said you loved how this movie didn't like show the film that, that gives the character the idea or tells you what the, the end of the movie is like, this is an instance where, you know, sometimes you'll see, Oh, it's like, you know, Oh, the, the class is having a lesson about the thing that that gives the character, the idea about something. There are a lot of instances of that that don't work so well. This here is just, I, I loved it. Like when he starts talking the chess moves in that scene in particular, you know it's going to play in. You see it on Fresh's face. Absolutely. And, but you don't know exactly how it's going to work out, how exactly it's going to come into play. And it really is just, it's a joy to see happen because you don't know what's coming. 
Yeah, no, I, I really like, and I will say that they did in the one of the early scenes of this movie, one of the few times you see Fresh in his classroom, across, there's a banner across the classroom that says, mathematicians think logically. And I'm like, well, there's the theme of the film right there for you because chess is essentially, you know, it's, it's, it's a game of numbers. It's a game of math. And he has to think logically if he is going to win. Again, we'll do our, again, we'll do our giant spoiler alert. Uh, yes. We've already been telling you, obviously, Fresh, in order to get himself and his sister away from uh, not just the neighborhood, but the drug dealers that they're both, uh, both of their lives are entwined with. Mm-hmm. He has this big scheme and uh, it, it, it really is enjoyable and it's fun to see how it all plays out. But I want to get into the final scene because as it turns out, here's the spoiler alert, is at the end of it all, uh, most of the drug dealers wind up dead. Yep. And Esteban has been framed by Fresh and he's going to go away the cops have him and he's he's just he's going to be gone forever. They right? have him cold, they have the the murder weapon that he is going away there's no question. And Fresh has provided this information and is going to testify and so he is going into the witness protection program but he has arranged it so that his sister is there at the same time and he right. says essentially her too. Exactly. It's got to be both of us. It's got to be both of us or or you don't get me. And the, you know, the feds say, or the cops say fine. So that isn't the final scene. The final no. scene is Fresh going to see his father, unbeknownst to the father, for the final time. Yeah. And they're playing chess in the park. And yeah. uh, the father is berating him, kind of, he's getting into it as he normally does. And Fresh, who is normally quiet and is not talking back, is still quiet here. And he just starts to cry. Yeah. Like, just tears. No no vocalization, no nothing. And it stops his father cold. Yeah. And you see him. This is the first time you will see his father show a, a second emotion other than anger. Um, And that's that's where the movie ends. And, 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 I, and it, it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Where, did I still, I still debate. Did fresh ever tell him that he and, and his sister were going away forever and would never see no. him again? I, 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 don't I don't think know. so. I, yeah. I, my, my instinct is he does not, but he knows this is the last time that, that he's going to see his father. And, and you know, it, it's all the things he's seen and all the things that he's had to do. I think all kind of, reach a tipping point in him uh and i gotta say uh sean nelson the young actor who played fresh uh who i thought was fantastic throughout the movie just in that final scene was incredible Um, yeah and you're right this is a movie that started out I, i i was not sure where i was with it and then as it went on and i still think it it could have been a this movie could have moved a little faster early on. I think that's just my issue with it. But other than that, when, once you get into it, it is fantastic. It is so interesting to have a character study about a character who really does not tell anyone anything about his internal world. And I think at the beginning of this film, it was a little tough for me because he's not showing a lot either, but the deeper you get into this, uh, you know, I think the better able the audience, or at least, uh, you know, my experience was we can begin to read Fresh's actions a lot better. Uh, And then, you know, at the end, you know, you really know stuff's going on, but you start to, the more you're with this kid, the more you get to know him and he doesn't have to tell you. And it really is kind of a joy to discover. It's, it's like just slowly uh, removing, removing the dust, uh, you know, from, from the archaeological dig, if you will, yeah. and just kind of uncovering bit by bit, and it's uh, it's really fun. Yeah, and, you know, although uh, although emotionally gut wrenching, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, emotion, but 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 still, it, it's a fascinating journey. I do want to give one warning to viewers on this movie: um, is that there are some pretty brutal depictions of violence towards animals in Fresh. 
uh, including a scene at a dog fighting match. And I would just want to say that if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, and I know there's people out there who are, you might want to steer clear of it because it is, it's pretty brutal. Obviously, I'm not saying that there was actual violence towards animals. I'm sure that that was all fake. That's how they do it. But, but the depictions are there and people who might be sensitive to that uh, may want to watch out because it's, uh, it's, it's fairly brutal. So, but it's a, it's a good movie nonetheless, and I and I do recommend it. Uh, as we move from Harlem of the 1990s to the Bronx of the 1970s, our next film also revolves around a young man at a crossroads in his life. This is Dead Presidents. Hey kid, you want to take a little run with me? Yeah, I'll take a little run with you. <laughs> Almost as good a getaway driver as me. I'm about to get my pimp thing on started. Why are you always talking about this pimp stuff, man? What's happening? Women so pretty. Even man, I ain't afraid of no war. I just want to do something that's different. Yeah, well, getting your head blown off is different. <laughs> so, you ain't gonna marry me when you get back? You ain't got somebody else. I don't want nobody else. To the Bronx. Now you're gonna play this Marine war hero. What you got when you get back here, huh? Uh, 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 uh. What's going on, man? Girl, come here. That's Daddy. Say hi. hi. I'm gonna get myself a good job. Don't you know if I had anything to offer you, I'd have give it to you the moment you walk through that door? We don't need his money. And you can't even put food on your table. Me and Kirby got something in the works. Old bills, man, sometimes a couple million. All that money. a.m. the truck pulls out of the post office now it makes one stop before it goes to dc at first federal loan and savings you pull it off and you'll have money hands over fist i think we need another man on the street we might well put an ad in the paper then we're gonna get everybody i'm qualified to handle a 45 an m16 and ak-47 to society, Dead Presidents, a Hughes Brothers film. Well, that's Uncle Sam for you, baby. Money to buy. The second feature film from Menace to Society directors Albert and Alan Hughes Dead Presidents is the story of Anthony Curtis, a 17-year-old growing up in the Bronx in the late 60s. Following graduation from high school, he enlists in the Marines and becomes part of a recon unit in Vietnam. During the war, he experiences some truly horrific combat situations, only to come home to a bleak future on the home front. Faced with limited job prospects and a family to care for, Anthony devises an ambitious plan to rob an armored car filled with old currency headed to the U.S. Mint for destruction. Uh, I just want to start off by saying Dead Presidents is fantastic. Dead Presidents is, for me, a perfect movie. There are, and I there are a few of them that I have in my pantheon, and th- this includes movies where you can say there are, uh, they're objectively <laughs> mistakes right. in the movie, right? Uh, I'll, I'll name check a like the Godfather has one particularly. There's bad some bit weird of ADR, ADR in the Godfather. Yeah. I talk I, to Barzini. Yeah, I call every every odd uh, ADR is a Barzini in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> but I don't care because I love it so, and it's so yeah. brilliant in every other way. 
Yeah, Halloween was shot in California, and all of the uh, leaves are on the trees and green, right? Sure. Uh, you know, that's not Illinois. Doesn't matter. Perfect Doesn't matter. movie. Uh, Dead Presidents is the same for me, although I can't even think of anything that's technically wrong with it. No, I mean the period stuff it's, is all great. Uh, it, it's it's well, let's let's start with the beginning. This has got an incredible cast. Lorenz Tate, who played O-Dog in Menace to Society, has the lead role of Anthony. You also have Keith David, Chris Tucker, Bokeem Woodbine, Freddie Rodriguez, and Boucher Wright for a, a second film this week. Uh, Rose Jackson, Michael Imperioli, Terrence Howard, and Martin Sheen. And it's one of those movies, like American Graffiti or The Outsiders or Dazed and Confused, that where they assemble the cast filled with incredibly talented actors at the beginning of their career. So you have, like, Michael Imperioli does not have a big part, but he is instantly uh, recognizable. And same thing with, uh, with with Terrence Howard does not have a big part. But it's like, you got some of these people at the, at the beginning of their careers. Freddie Rodriguez, who would go on in Six Feet Under. Obviously, Chris Tucker. Uh, this, is, this is very early in his career, and he'll show up again uh, next week in one of our films next week. Um, and... It's and obviously not at the beginning of his career, but always brilliant is Keith David. Wow, I mean, just he's so fantastic in this. Yeah, I mean, the you know, I called it a perfect movie, so it's probably not a surprise that again, this whole cast top to bottom uh, is just wonderful, and it one of those movies where the performances are fantastic. But also, I mean, as part of that, I love watching these characters play off of each other. And Absolutely. The, the dynamics between the different characters are so unique, even amongst uh, like Ant's childhood friends, some of whom go to Vietnam, uh, some of whom go to Vietnam with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and the relationship, like Ant's relationship to Jose is not just different from his relationship with Skip. It's different from yeah. Skip's relation with Jose. Like they're all, they, they all have these, these different flavors, which is real and it makes, it just gives everything not only so much more depth, but it just makes it so much more interesting to watch. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah. For, first of all, Keith David, uh, it talks, he plays Kirby. He's, he's Anthony's one-legged petty criminal mentor. And some of the scenes with the two of them early on where, you know, basically Anthony, he runs numbers for him. He does kind of, you know, a little, he's not, he's not a, a serious criminal, but you know, he's kind of, he, he does, he, he, this guy's kind of a mentor for him and oh my God, are the scenes with them great. Um, there's the one with the leg. Oh my God. Oh. There's a scene where they go to collect where, where Kirby goes to collect a debt and the guy he's collecting from grabs Kirby by the leg, except it's not his real leg. It's the fake leg and it comes right off. And he's like, everybody knows I got a false leg. You guy just picked the wrong one. And, and that is also not just a wonderful scene, but, uh, one of many just fantastic story points of foreshadowing because that yes. leg was lost in Korea and yes. Ant's father was a Marine in Korea. And you have, um, you know, differing viewpoints about uh, what a black man's place is in the white man's military, especially going to the war in Vietnam. Uh, these right. things are explicitly talked about. And it's, it's interesting to me that Ant's involvement with the numbers running and kind of petty crime because his parents are very, very straight. It's it's shown yeah. that they are they're they're in the upwardly mobile uh, section. Uh, the the older son has is graduated from college. The expectation yeah. is that Ant is going to go to the local college on scholarship. You would think it's set up for they're going to find out about the involvement in petty crime, and that's going to be a great disappointment. That is not what happens. No, they find out, especially the mother and the brother, that he wants to join the Marines. And that that is the big sticking point with the family. Uh, also, spoiler alert: they're they're right um, in this in this film at yeah, least. In this, in, but, yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's it's interesting because there's three distinct sections to this movie. There's there's the first you know half hour or so, which is in you know which is in set in the Bronx in 1968 69, and and that part is charming as hell. Like it is genuinely 
uh, there's a there's some great moments with uh, with with Ant and the girl that he's seeing and and uh, and and her sister who's kind of always there. It's it, there's some really interesting stuff dynamics there, uh, and it's just it's really terrific. And then you know then he goes over to Vietnam and the Vietnam stuff, which is about the next half hour of the movie, is harrowing. It is as harrowing as any. Uh, Vietnam movie. It's up there with Platoon and Full Metal Jacket, and it is just, uh, it is, it is tough going. Uh, and and uh, I mean, just man, you know, uh, it, it, it's tough stuff. And nobody comes back from that okay. Everybody comes back damaged in some ways, or in, you know, whether it's physically, mentally, addiction problems. Everybody comes back damaged, and there is no support system for the people that we send over there. I mean, it's, and that's really one of the big things of this movie is what America does, what America asks of its young people. And in particular, it's young people of color. And it does not, it does not, is not going to be there for them when they come back. And that is a, that is a big, that is a big part of this movie. You'd mentioned that, that first section of the movie uh, before Vietnam. And one of the things that's so charming about it uh, which then leads into the Vietnam and the post-Vietnam is Ant's courtship with Juanita. Yes. And that relationship, it, you really see it in its best and you see the hope and that the love that they have for each other, which is rather important because the Vietnam part, when we get there uh, and we do jump in a few years in before like Ant has been there for a while when Skip yes. shows up in his recon unit. And we discover that uh, the one time that uh, Ant slept with Juanita, they did conceive a child and he has a daughter. And yes. Skip wants oh, whose to see... picture he does not look at. Yes, which is the whole thing here. When he tells him, uh, he tells Skip, I don't think about them. So he is not called home. He's not writing. Well, he's not been writing home. He doesn't look at the picture. As he said, they can't exist for me out here because if they do, I'm dead. Yeah. And so it, it makes that all the more powerful to have seen the wonderfulness of the relationship early. And then upon the return home, it, it's extra heartbreaking to see where that relationship goes. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. Um, you know, he comes back four years after going off to war in 1969. Anthony uh, comes home in 1973. Uh, Skip had preceded him home. Uh, uh, the, who had been, uh, you know, because he had, he had been wounded in combat. Um, and it, there's a, a massive change to everything in this movie coming back from Vietnam. Uh, we see that the, 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 the neighborhood, which was a really good neighborhood in, when the, in the, the, the 1960s sequences, you know, one of the first things we see in this movie is that uh, Anthony's got a, you know, like a job. He's, he delivers milk in the morning into the old, uh, you know, milk delivery where it would go into the box and the milk person would take the empties. And you, when you get to the seventies, you can't imagine that being in that world anymore because, well, it, it wouldn't be a neighborhood where you could have milk delivery. You know, it's, it's, everything changes from the sixties to the seventies. Again, it's almost like a movie that would come a few years later with boogie nights where everything changes from the seventies to the eighties. Uh, here you have the Vietnam sequence uh, bridging that and, and, when you come back, we see that 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 economically the the neighborhood is not what it was. Uh, is there's more and more crime, and it, it's in in a metaphorical sense, Dead Presidents is a prequel to many of the films that we've discussed in the last few weeks that have been about these economically and socially ravaged neighborhoods. Here, even though it's not, you know. It, it doesn't matter that it's the Bronx or Harlem or Watts or what have you. Here we see that happening and we see the neighborhood, you know, taking a turn for the worse. And they talk about it. They, they absolutely discuss it. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers here. Yeah. And, and unlike a lot of our earlier films, um, uh, Anthony and his family, they are not well to do. But no, there's distinctly middle class. Absolutely. But distinctly, you know, working class. But there is the hope of the upward trajectory. And it is, you know, you, you are seeing the world events around him uh, kind of engulf Anthony 
Now, yeah. look, a lot of what winds up happening is the result of his choices. But yes. it's it's one thing to say, oh, you started dealing drugs and now you've met your end. It's a whole and and to blame that person for that, which, by the way, is not necessarily something I subscribe to, but plenty of people do. Uh, it's a whole other thing to go. Well, if you'd never gone to the Marines, you wouldn't have right. met this terrible fate. If you'd never served your country when your country yeah. asked. I just I find it so interesting. So Anthony, you know, he, he's now. You know, he's, he's got a, a, a child. I don't think he ever marries Juanita, but he's got a child that he's supporting and a second one is on the way. And um, he finds himself just in a position where, you know, for a while he works for a butcher. Uh, Seymour Casal plays the butcher, uh, another great little role. And, and you know, he, he but he, he loses his job because the butcher store can't, because not because he, he doesn't lose his job because he did anything wrong. He loses his job because the store is going to close because it can't survive in that neighborhood anymore economically. I love as, because that is one where you have a, a story point and scene is doing like triple duty. Yeah. Uh, because A, it's informing your A plot. Right. And, and this is going to be one more thing that leads Anthony down the road to trying to do the heist. Yep. But it is also telling you about the world and what's happening in it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, without telling you, without having the newscast on saying, you know, X, Y, Z, it's showing you ground level what these effects are. Yeah. And then additionally, it's poignant between and, you know, the, the butcher is a very, very minor character, maybe in like a handful, like two, three scenes. Uh, but you get this. He oddly enough is someone who seems to care about Anthony and, you know, yeah. not like super, but, you know, he's sending him on his way. He had to fire this guy. He feels so bad. He's giving him all the meat because he's saying, yeah, he's like, what I, am I going to, what am I going to do with it? You know, it's, I, yeah. I, I, I can't, I, you know, take it. And so he sends him off with two bags of meat, two shopping bags of meat. Uh, he's got a freezer full of meat, you know, it's, uh, you know, which back then, I mean, you know, the, the, the pricing was different, but also it's, you know, it's, it's effectively a bonus, um, that yeah. you're giving him as, as a thank you. And, and, and Anthony, you can see is touched by it. And so you're, you're working on that other level there too. And it's just, uh, anyway, it's just a wonderful, yeah, no, no, it's one, it, one it, of the many wonderful little scenes in this, uh, yeah, it, it again, it also reminded me of the scene from, from one of the flashback sequences of Godfather Two, where where mm-hmm. the uh, the store owner has to let uh, Vito go, and he he gives he gives him the bomb. Vito's like, no, 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 you know, it's 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 uh, it, it does. It, you're right; it works on a lot of levels, and it's uh, it's it's really good. And and it, what's interesting, so then you know, Anthony decides he, he he comes up with this plan to rob this armored car that is bringing old currency. Basically, it's it's old currency that's been collected and is going to be destroyed because obviously old bills go out of circulation and then replaced with new bills. And and it, it makes one stop at a post office before it heads down to Washington. And they're like, we can hit it there. And I just thought, you know, I mean, it just, I mean, what what a what a perfect, you know, analogy with, you know, that that Anthony himself is not that different from the old currency that the government is collecting and no longer has a use for. Just like the the, the kids it sent overseas to fight, it doesn't have a use for them, and it's not it, it, it doesn't have anything. It doesn't doesn't help them. It it cuts them loose. And uh, they do say this in dialogue. Uncle Sam is going to burn the money. Yeah. So a you, the fun money to burn, but b the uh, the the useful item is getting burned. Um, yes. I, I don't know that that was intention intended necessarily, but, uh, it, it, it is a wonderful little bit in the movie. By this point in the movie, I want, it, there aren't many cr- crime movies where I'm like, I really want them to get the money. Right. <laughs> this is the like, beauty it, of this movie. It, this is a realistic crime movie where I am actively rooting for them. This is not like Ocean's Eleven where it's a, a fun, you know, Mission Impossible style heist. That's not what this is. But I'm still rooting for these guys. Yeah, until the heist happens when uh, things start to go horribly awry. Because uh, very sudden, the heist does not go off successfully. No, and and some of the crew, as well as some law enforcement, on end up dead. And 
listen, here's a piece of advice. If you're going to put together a heist, don't have your speed-addicted friend handle the explosives because he's going to use too much. You just want to blow the bloody doors off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, But there's so much in this heist sequence. um, Oh, it's great. To talk about uh, on the theme of or on the topic of of characters who you think are going to do one thing and do another. What I love is Skip, uh, Chris Tucker's character, is also an addict, although he is, I believe, a heroin addict. Um, And it is set up. Uh, it, even back in the Vietnam sequences that he has frozen, he has been unreliable and now he is also a junkie uh, and people are not too happy about him being one of the lookouts. So they say that they want to get uh, Anthony in particular is like, he wants someone to back skip up and he gets uh, what Cleon right from uh, mm-hmm. who was uh, uh, one of the guys say, they were in Vietnam with, who's a, yeah. a fire and brimstone preacher. But when he was in Vietnam was, a stone cold psychopath, like, you know, committing atrocities, doing really, really nasty stuff. And uh, what winds up happening is that Skip is not the problem at the heist. Yeah. It is the guy you brought in to uh, try and back him up. And what I, this is another little thing that I love, which is, you know, I, I don't know if this wouldn't have happened that the heist would have gone great, but I think there was a higher chance they might have gotten out alive. Uh, you know, at the end of it all, obviously, I'm not talking about specifically just in the scene. Right. The thing that really does them in is that Cleon is wearing a jacket with his Marine patch from Vietnam yep. and a, uh, a black police officer strolls by and asks him if he's he, waiting for the bus. Right. Uh, and, the, and Cleon says, yeah, he's, you know, waiting for the number 11 or whatever. And you think, oh, this cop is going to bust him. And it turns it around. This cop was also Marine, wants to help yeah. out a fellow Marine and starts calling in with dispatch to check to see if the number 11 bus comes by. Right. And, and make that, sure it's on its way that early. Yeah, it's. And and yeah. this is this is the thing rather than the suspicion or or something going wrong. It's and, and I think also a great metaphor for this movie, which is that someone trying to be kind only begets the most terrible tragedy happening yeah it's it's kind of the worldview of this movie um and uh yeah yeah and and things go sideways uh not like i said not all of them get out alive uh but they do get some money Uh, a lot of it goes up when because again uh the 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 you know they they use too much explosives and they they set, basically set the the truck on fire but they're able to get some of it and the, and some of them are able to get away oh i i have to mention um the image the 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 guys who are are directly involved with taking the armored car rather than having masks the black and white face paint is one of the most striking images and it was used on the poster uh and it's incredible and you know you you can't tell the the you know you can't tell the race you can't tell the gender of of those that are directly involved in the uh, in the taking of the armored car and it's just it's one of the most it's the striking image from this movie that people remember and it, it should be mentioned because it's fantastic um, but they, they some of them do get away except again the the guy that they brought in to back up he's starts flashing his money around and st- and sooner the cops go and pick him up and he gives up everybody. And, you know, by the time the cops find Skip, uh, he's already put one too many needles in his arm and, and is, is dead. And, but they get, uh, they get, uh, Anthony and, uh, and he gets, uh, he gets the book thrown at him at the end of the movie. There's a courtroom scene. Uh, Martin Sheen plays the judge. And this is uh, this was so it's Martin Sheen tells them that he's a disgrace to the uniform and that, you know, that he himself was a Marine who fought in, quote, a real war. And and it's just. Ugh, I mean, it, it's it's heartbreaking and disgusting and 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 and, and angering all at the same time. And, you know, in the end, you know, it, Anthony's going away for if not the rest of his life, a very, very, very long time. Uh, and he's left behind the the kids and uh, Juanita, who he'd already in anger left, but uh, yeah. 
it is. Uh, I, I'll. But say she was I, in the courtroom. She was in the courtroom. Yes. For oh, that's right. That's right. And uh, man, I've never wanted. I, I was. Uh, again, I'm. I'm a peaceful man, Chris. But when uh, when Sheen gives that speech, oh. I wanted to throw the chair too. I was totally oh, yeah. down with Anthony throwing a chair. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, I fought in World War II. I fought in a real war. The hell with you, pal. I mean, it just, uh, it's, uh, you know, and man, it's a perfect use of Martin Sheen. It's not much Martin Sheen, but it's a perfect use of Martin Sheen for that role. Um, Who, I guess, has been in two of our series uh, because he was in Get Me Another Batman with Spawn. And, oh, that's true. And he's been in this one. So he's he's no Ernie Hudson, but he's no slouch. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. The film, uh, uh, Dead Presidents, it's, it's loosely based on the experiences of uh, Hayward T. Kirkland, whose story was detailed in the book Bloods, an oral history of the Vietnam War by black veterans. And uh, and I just want to mention that. it's. Uh, I think the, 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 the Hughes brothers took several sources. It's not directly based on one person's true story, but they took several sources. They were inspired by uh, some of the black liberation movement, and as well as uh, there was a, a, a an armored truck heist in the early eighties that I think was, was partially the inspiration for it. So they drew from a number of things to sort of put this tale together. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic. This is, this is a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've had a lot of, we, it's, we've, we've had very good movies in this series and, and uh, you know, yeah. And then there's judgment night. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Uh, I think I think we'll stop there for today. But please join us next week for the fifth and final episode of Get Me Another Boys in the Hood, where we'll discuss three films that view the worlds that we've been exploring through significantly different lenses. So that's 1995's Friday, and from 1996, Set It Off, and... Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Uh, that's next week. Again, we thank you so much for listening. We are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob LaMorges. And if you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing, following us on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Another Pod. Please tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell people you feel neutral about, and join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another.